You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. All right, so I want to invite you to open up to, uh, to Luke chapter 2, and that's the passage that we, that we read um, earlier for the joy candle. And, um, and we'll get there in a moment. We usually work through whole books of the Bible, and currently we are working through the book of Genesis uh, we've taken a, a, a brief moment just to pause and reflect on the meaning of Christmas uh, in Luke chapter 1 and now Luke chapter 2. And, um, and, and I, was, I was reminiscing this morning uh, as baby Oliver um, debuted his, his, uh, his acting career this morning um, when I was once a wee little lad and, uh, and chosen to become a sheep and and Saint something or rather church, I can't remember, we, we grew up Catholic and I, and I went to the, the Catholic nativity that morning and, uh, and did in fact wear my Superman uh, outfit. My mother, um, I, I pulled the wool over her eyes, pun intended, and uh, was able to pull off a, uh, a Superman costume in the middle of a, of a nativity. And I just can't remember a sad Christmas. I can't remember um, a, uh, you know, a, a down Christmas. Everything was was awesome, and everything. It, well, I mean, it should be awesome, right? When you're when you're a kid and you're and you're celebrating Christmas. I remember we grew up in New York, and so there was always so much snow, and the snow makes everything awesome. Not for the adults, but very much for the kids. As you're spraying the windows, you know, with the little fake snow and, and carving out little frosties, and for me, Ninja Turtles and Batman and things like that. Um, I remember. Um, uh, looking forward and basically living on hot chocolate every single day. I mean, just living on hot chocolate and candy canes and, and, and there's never, you know, worry, worry in the world. And I, and I, and I remember, though, uh, feeling that, that um, you know, watching movies, you know, the Home Alones and, and uh, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas and uh, as I got older, uh, the Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation, that, um, that not everybody uh, is experiencing the joy of Christmas. Uh, maybe you've noticed this before and experienced that, that not everybody is in the same emotional state. And, and I couldn't really wrap my mind around that fact as a kid. Maybe you've experienced this as well, is that Christmas, it, it can't be sad. I mean, it's, it's, it's the best holiday of the year. I mean, when grown-ups ask you things like, what's your favorite holiday? It's like times 10. Christmas is the best possible situation you could ever be in. You've got Santa Claus coming and giving you things, and you've got chocolate everywhere, and adults are, you know, playing actual games and you're having a great time and digging tunnels in the snow, you know, with your friends and so forth, because uh, you're not shoveling the snow and you're not driving down Woodruff Road and you're not going to grandma's house for 15 straight hours, you know, when it should be a four hour trip. Uh, but not everybody, not everybody experiences the joy. Not everybody um, feels that all the time. And maybe, maybe this Christmas for you, you're not exactly in that spot, you know, emotionally. Um, and, and, and I think, and I think as I've uh, reflected a bit, you know, on this passage and, and, and thinking about just the experience, you know, of, of Christmas and and, and each year by year, I think it, it has to do with, with the reflection um, of, of life that comes. Um, December becomes this, um, it becomes this kind of inventory, this uh, audit uh, of life. And, and, and we start to think back on the year and, 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 we, and we think about kind of the bottom lines of life. We start to wonder, you know, like, was it all worth it? You know, we calculate up the, the work that we invested or the, or the money that we invested or the time that we invested in our relationships, in our job, in our work, in our families. And, 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 and sometimes the bottom line, and maybe oftentimes, the bottom line doesn't seem like it adds up to what was invested during that year. Sometimes it feels like we end the year in the red and not the black. We end the year in, in a kind of relational debt. It feels like, like what we gave wasn't enough. 
wasn't enough. It, it, like, like we go to the parties and, and we send out the invitations. And in some ways, we, you know, in the kind of human intangible ways, we're emotionally calculating, like, like did, did the year mean something? Did the, did the relationships move forward or backwards? You know, in my professional career, like, you know, I, I, I worked in this way and I set this goal and I, and I tried my hardest and I, and I did the things that I was supposed to be doing. And, and, and it just doesn't seem like it's almost as if I wasn't there. It wouldn't have mattered if I tried in the first place. And that can, that can weigh on you. That can, that can get to you. And, and, and so um, I, I think that that's a, that's a kind of an emotional setting of the stage, I think, of, of maybe how the Israelite people, the, Jewish, the Jews felt in the beginning of chapter 2 as, as we look at this in the ESV. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, in those days it says a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his hometown. And, and, and so, um, I don't know, I'm not a Roman citizen, and I didn't live underneath the Roman Empire, but there, there certainly was a very invasive nature, I think, to the idea of the king or the emperor, Caesar, who you never met, uh, calling 28% of the world's population all to their hometowns uh, based on his will and whim to draw a census and to collect taxes. There was something... Um, something subjugating about that. There was something um, authoritative about that, that you never knew the person, but all of a sudden, you know, let's say you're from Ohio or you're from Kentucky or you're from Florida, that all of a sudden at the snap of a finger, you know, that control and authority becomes very apparent all of a sudden when your plans and and your whereabouts are dictated and mandated by someone somewhere else. And particularly for the Jews, uh, this would have been of kind of great offense because you see in the law of Moses, it was expected that you were never supposed to be ruled by a foreign empire. It says specifically in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and things like that, that you should never trade uh, and become in debt with another empire. You should never gather mass amounts of gold or horses or weaponry from other empires, that, that you were supposed to be ruled by God. And, and you were not supposed to be ruled by man. And and that, and that you, were, you were not supposed to become a slave and a subject to, to someone else. And so so the, so the writing on the wall is quite loud and clear, and maybe, maybe every year at this time or every period or season, whenever some new governor would be raised up, you would have to be called back to your home and be reminded of who's really ruling over you. This would, maybe would have been a sad setting for the Israelites. In verse 4, it says, And Joseph went up to Galilee from the town of, Na- of Nazareth. Who is Joseph in our nativity, by the way? Raise your hand, Joseph. Joseph did a fantastic job. There he is, Joseph. So great. Uh, did a great job. All the kids did. All the children. Y'all did wonderful. So Joseph, that was Joseph. He went up from Galilee and from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no place for him at the inn. So what the Bible is doing here is creating a juxtaposition between um, a, a worldly authority, uh, one of the um, greatest human authorities of all time, Caesar Augustus, that we can read that off the page and know exactly what that's talking about with a lot of, without a lot of context. He, he, the writer Luke is, is putting in juxtaposition this earthly uh, uh, authority, this king making this edict, and out of this, uh, this, this, this edict that is being made arises this second narrative, this second storyline that goes on of what the Bible is going to argue is a different kind of king. Um, 
and, and so when, when, whenever a king would be born, it would be a really big to-do, you know, like they would gather all of these, you know, rich and fancy kings and queens from all these other places to recognize and anoint this new king. And so certainly if a king was going to be born, they would be born in the audience of people that were very important. I mean, that would be super um, uh, illustrative and, 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 and significant in gathering the people around the king that was to be born. But, but Luke is presenting a different kind of king, a counter king that is born here in the city of David. It was always expected that the king was going to be born in the city of David. And, and if you were an Israelite reading this, you, you would have sort of seen the writing on the wall. You would have expected that something great might be happening if, if those were the words that are mentioned together. They, they unlocked this kind of code that, that would cue in the reader that something important was going to happen, something um, counter maybe to the first few verses of this passage of that king, there was going to be a different king that would be potentially raised up in this storyline. And so verse eight, it says, raise your hand if you're a shepherd, by the way. Here comes the shepherd's part. Where is the shepherds? Awesome, you guys all did fantastic. You did a, you were a wise man too, which is in Matthew. So next Christmas, buddy, we're gonna preach on Matthew. But this is all about the shepherds. And so in verse eight, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And so shepherds in the audience, I, I, wanna, I wanna encourage you today. I always felt bad whenever I would draw the short straw to be a shepherd, but shepherds were awesome, man. I mean, shepherds like on the flannel graphs are just these kind of like flimsy, waif looking dudes with weird beards, but shepherds were tough. Y'all were like superheroes and mighty men and y'all would kill lions and bears with your bare hands because you had to protect the sheep. That was the thing. And, and, and even the mightiest king, the, the king of David, the one that they're kind of was supposed to forecast and project and be a, 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 um, a preview of the coming Messiah, David was raised as a shepherd. And that's exactly how he learned how to sling you know, a stone and how to kill Goliath and ultimately how he claimed victory for his period in Israel. And so it, the shepherds were, 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 were the faithful and the loyal, but they were also the royal. They were also looked at as the faithful rulers. And, and, and look what it says. It says they were keeping watch over their flocks by night. It was, like, it was like they were responsible in the Old Testament narrative to look over the, the flocks of Israel. That was the symbolism, that they would look over, um, be watchmen. They would be um, keeping the flock safe. And it's almost like a, um, in the middle of, of the night when you change shifts and one shift kind of retires in the middle of the night and, and gives you know, passes off the shift and, and the clipboard and the responsibilities to the next shift. This is what the Bible is alluding to here is that these, these, these shepherds were, were faithful into the night and, and the sun was about to rise and so they were watching over their flocks by night, but that would be the last season because a new shepherd, a good shepherd, a king like David would be raised up forevermore to bring in a new time. And it says, verse nine, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear and the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I'll read that again. It says, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Many of you guys know I used to be um, a teacher. And one year, um, there was a young man in my, uh, in my history class, my world history class, uh, named David. Uh, and he was, uh, he was shorter than me. He was about 5'8", but um, his biceps were about the size of my thigh. 
Um, he's the kind of guy that like when he wears polo shirts by Ralph Lauren, the little band like creeps up on his forearm because his muscles are too big to like rest down there and he can't really see his feet. So he just kind of like barrels into the room. And every morning, you know, I'd come by the doorway and like try and like puff up a little bit to make sure I like held my own and be like, what up Wong? And then he'd go sit his seat. His, his, I mean, on this piano, whatever this bass note is like the lowest possible, be like, what up Wong? It was like the lowest possible thing. Say what your chest. And so he would like, he would hit this low note right down here. And it, it commanded the room. It just, I mean, he was just a, he was probably 26. I mean, he looked like he was 26. He felt like he was older than me. What up, Wong? And he'd sit down and he would just own the whole classroom. And, 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 and I knew from the beginning, I mean, I read about this stuff and I had, you know, seen, been around the block enough. It's like, you can be the teacher. You're not always the leader. <laughs> you, don't, you don't always hold the authority. You don't always have the throne in the room. The, you, know, the, 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 you don't sit in the seat of power in the room. And, and so I knew that to win the classroom, I needed to win David. I knew that I was the teacher, but he was the real authority. And, and, and that's, that's precisely what this passage is talking about. It's, it's presenting, it's showing more than telling a, a worldly king, an earthly king, a phony king, a false king, and then a real one. It is, it is showing an audience of shepherds and mangers and, and, and dirty, the lowest of the lows of the human places, um, ironically, paradoxically, gathering angels in heaven in the greatest of authorities. That's the paradox and the juxtaposition of, of what the real authority is. And that's what it's saying. And, and, and the message comes to the shepherds as the first audience. They were the lowest of the low, but they were faithful and mighty and strong. And they had carried Israel as this figure of, of the good shepherd, of the good watchman over that era of time in the Old Testament, all the way up until the new shift came. And the angels came to visit and anointed the king, and they visited this throne room. It looks nothing like Caesar, but it looks everything like eternity. And the angels speak this true word to them and this true word to us this morning, that Jesus has come in a manger, that the real king of, of heaven and earth for all time, of all eras, has come to bring good news of great joy for all people. Good news was uh, a common vernacular for any king that would come into town they would brand it the right way. They would PR spin the campaign to tell all the people uh, that whoever had taken over, whoever had just become you know, the incumbent, and whoever had taken a rise of authority would, would be taking the throne, and they would say, hey, good news, you know, the good news, this person is now the king and the ruler, and, and that would be the, you know, the heralding message that would be given. So the, the idea of gospel or good news wasn't just um, unique to the Christian faith or even the Jewish faith. It was something that was political and, and military. But, but this is a different kind of good news because it wasn't just that it was good news, a new king was coming, but it was good news for all people of great joy, not just for the Romans or even just for the Jews, that Luke is writing this book to Theophilus, a Gentile of that day, preaching the message that the good news is not just for the Jews, but for all people of all times, good news of great joy. And so this is what, um, this is the good news that, that we come to find out in Luke chapter four. And I will uh, flip ahead for just a moment to give, give a context. But Luke four says this, um, Jesus, when he, when he is, uh, he's fully taking uh, in the metaphor, so to speak, his throne, when he visits the temple as an adult, this is his kind of mic check moment, his mic drop moment. If there's any time that Jesus drops the mic, this is it. Imagine you're in church one day and, uh, and uh, uh, an anonymous figure comes and takes the stage and uh, he says this in verse 18, it's the red letters in your Bible. The spirit of the Lord, this is what Jesus says, is upon me. This is what the good news is about. You know, the, the shepherds and, and Joseph and Mary, they ponder, they wonder, they treasure, but they were looking forward to this moment. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the, the euangelion, the good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight of the blind, to set all liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Most, most of the time, uh, when an emperor would say it was good news that they were coming onto the throne, it wasn't always good news for all people. And it wasn't really good news of great joy. It was usually good news for some people and really bad news for, for other people. Because most kings, they didn't free captives. They took captives, right? Most, most political powers, they, they, they gather up their resources to, to put themselves on a throne, to equal uh, good news for themselves and those that help them get there. And so it wasn't always good news to all people, but, it's, but, but this is a different kind of king. You see, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to proclaim, proclaim the good news to the poor. And then he says he wants to give sight to the blind, you know, if you're running a political campaign, you don't want people to have, you want to have the vision. You want to have the sight. You want to keep the, the, the information close at hand. You don't want to let the secret out. You don't want everybody to know and have access to power and authority. You keep the power and authority. You keep the information because information is power. And you keep the wisdom to yourself. But he says he gives sight to all. He wants all to be co-heirs. And he wants all to know and to understand and to be a friend, not just a servant. He, he says, I want to see sight for the blind. And and I want to see, I want to see uplifting and, and liberty for the captives. I'm, I'm not here to uh, suppress victory. I'm here to bring victory for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. And that is, that is the message that, that the angels bring. So back in Luke 2 to finish out the story, and I'm almost done. This is the way that the angels respond and maybe how we'll respond this morning in worship without candles. Verse 13, and suddenly there was an angel. Who is an angel in the room? Who's an angel? I don't know. They were just so angelic. They flew back up. Yeah, awesome angels this morning. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, shalom peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Pax Romana, you know, the Roman vision for peace couldn't bring peace. Peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of, of Jesus is what the angels are saying. And, and he's coming to bring peace for, for all, all people like the people, everyone that you've met this year and everyone you've talked to, this is good news for, if we understand what it means. It means that God's come to live at peace and live at rest with man, again, through Jesus, through his son. And so verse 15 says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. That was you, little Ollie. You did a great job. He's not here. Um, and told them what, what, what they had heard concerning the child, and, and, they, and they wondered. It says they wondered, and the shepherds wondered as well in verse 19, but Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. I think at the end of the year, we start to do our inventories. You know, Caesar calls us home, and we start to do the census of our life. We start to calculate the relationships, and we, we calculate the things that haven't moved or maybe moved backwards so much as we've tried to move them forward. They continue to move backwards, and it it it, it it doesn't make us fearful of the Lord. It makes us fearful of our problem. And we become um, incapacitated in some ways. We, we, we feel futile. We feel helpless, you know, that another year has passed and, and it hasn't gotten any better. And we feel that we're in debt. And that's the essence of slavery is, is debt. It's, it's the feeling that as much as I have and as much as I have to give, it's not enough. It's not enough. I haven't, I, 
I can't, I can't keep up with my kids and I can't keep up with my job and I can't keep up with the finances. I'm drowning, I'm, I'm, I'm over my head, I'm sinking in this thing and I'm in debt. I owe, I don't have, I don't have enough. I owe, I, I, I need to give. There still is more expectation and I, I, I can't seem to break these chains of, of whatever it is. And anywhere we find Caesars, anywhere we find tyrants in our life, that's always the result because kings don't come to bring freedom to captives. They came, come to bring captivity to captives. They come to oppress the poor. They don't come to uplift the poor. But the message the angels bring, the message that visits the shepherds as they hand off the the torch of of caring and looking over and shepherding Israel, the real king, the king that was like David but didn't fail the way that David did, the one that comes to sit forever, he brings the year of favor to not only Israel but to the entire world. He brings the, the year of jubilee. And what that means is every seven years within the Levitical calendar, there is a time that, that God, he said, you're not going to be like the Egyptians. You're not going to be like the Caesars. You're not going to be like the Romans. You're going to be a people unto me. And I, and I control um, the east, north, west, and the south. And I, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And you only receive what I give to you generously. And so every seven years, there's a year that you let the land rest. You let your family rest. You let your boss and your employees and, and your family members, you just let it go and you, and you settle the account. This is what he's saying. He's predicting already the one who's going to settle the accounts of all the economies is Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's going to settle all debts by dying on the cross and paying for all of the debts. And so, and so downstream of that, there is only an unraveling of all debts. And, and today we don't wait seven years because the era, the year of the Lord that Jesus came to roll the scroll up when he sat down in that temple is still upon us. We live in the year of Jubilee for all years because his shift has never ended. He is the, he is the king that doesn't have a term limit. And we live in an era of Jubilee. And so my question is to you, what is the debt that you're trying to pay off that he's already paid? What is, the, what is the freedom that you, that you have in, in that manger that you haven't come to come and see, to come and understand, to come and accept? Because the truth is, Caesar was not their king. And whatever it is that holds you captive at night, that feels like you're not enough, and you haven't caught up for the year, and 20 is going to be like 19, that thing is not king. He's king. He has come to bring good news of great joy for all people. For all people. But then the second question becomes is, who are you holding captive? And maybe by holding them captive, you're holding yourself captive more than you're holding them captive. The angel came and Jesus came, not for no purpose to show off, but to preach a message, to let you know who is king and to tell you what time it is. Because if you don't know what time it is, you're at the mercy of every season and every person that wants to tell you what time it is. But he's come to tell you the time. And the time is the year of favor of the Lord. It's the time of rest. It's the time of great peace for all people. Will you accept that? Will you accept his kingship? The, the, the kings of this world are, are merciless. They're ruthless. They will take you down in debt and they will continue to ask you for more bricks with less straw. They'll continue to ask of you and expect of you things you can't bring of your own. And so the invitation is, will you accept Caesar as king? Will you accept Jesus as king? Because ultimately there's only one true king. There's only one that holds the authority, the only one, one that, that can dictate truth in your life. It is not your spouse, it is not your boss, and it certainly is not your children. Your authority is in his hands, 
And if he sets you free, then you are free indeed. Let's stand and worship as the band uh, leads us in this last song. The word for you this morning that I just want to get across to you louder than that fire alarm is the word release. Would you experience release this morning? Gosh, there's something that you've got to release before you get into this next year. Release it to him. He has given you the permission and his voice doesn't need to be loud to have authority. And he's telling you to release for your freedom, for your children's freedom, for the good news to make its way into all the nations, for all people. You will need to first bow your knee at the manger and release that thing to him. You are released to be released. Man, that we would experience release. We can't find it anywhere else. We can't find liberty anywhere else or freedom anywhere else. So we come to that manger and we find it because we trust. We would just turn and trust and, and hear what the real edict is. Caesar says a, sense, a census, but Jesus preaches freedom. Caesar preaches death. Jesus preaches forgiveness. Caesar preaches darkness and blindness, but Jesus has rose upon the earth to bring light and jubilee to all nations. And so we, we hail you as King Jesus. And we come to your manger this morning and we give you worship. We are thankful and there's nothing that we could have done to brought it upon ourselves, but it was received as a gift. And so, and so we wonder and we ponder on these things. What a great King you are. What a worthy Messiah you are. We give you praise. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.